Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. You know, I've been trying to go through and figure out the best way to explain the left and their actions. And out of the blue, this weirdest story comes about involving Nancy Pelosi, where she goes to a salon, she doesn't wear a mask, doesn't social distance, and she gets caught. And what's her excuse? Oh, the salon set her up. Oh, it was the salon. Now, on the surface, this is a very ridiculous story. Like, who really cares, right? Who cares what Nancy Pelosi did while getting a haircut? Ooh, I mean, this is the type of thing that we see people doing over celebrities. The whole, we want to know every intricate detail of their lives. But no one really cares. But it was her reaction that made this story the story and really encapsulates the left. And it was that instead of taking responsibility for her hypocrisy, for not wearing a mask, for going off and just blaming the salon for her action, really explains the left here. And this gets to show why left-wing policy, despite failing consistently, continues to get pushed. Why they're always scapegoating everybody and why it is they cannot denounce the violence of their supporters like Antifa and Black Lives Matters. And it's because the left are like children who, you know, are trying to avoid getting into trouble by blaming everybody else. It's their complete and total inability to take responsibility for their actions, for their inability to actually realize that what they do is the result of their decisions. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault that this policy didn't work. Oh, it's the right winger. They somehow sabotaged it. It's somebody else's fault if they didn't win elections. Well, okay, maybe it's because people didn't vote for them, but it's, you know, not their fault that people wouldn't vote for them, right? I mean, that is kind of loosely, but it's the whole blame Russia, blame a conspiracy theory about, you know, Trump and Russia. You know, it's always about, it's never their fault that what they do is unquestionably good. It's just somebody else's fault. And we see this time and time again, and just about everything that they do. And so it, whether it's what's going on with the riots or what's what went on and uh, Kenosha, right? And yes, I'll finally talk about what happened in Kenosha here on the podcast. At some point, I was waiting uh, on uh, talking about this because I wanted to get more details before speaking out. And I know that what the left will try and say is not you know, necessarily accurate. So I wanted to wait until we got full details of everything that happened in order to try and base a reasonable opinion on the situation. All right, so that's going to come later on down the road. But what I want to talk about right now is the riots and Joe Biden's statement. Because as you can see, you know, this first introduction with Nancy Pelosi 
not being able to take responsibility for her own actions, that it was a setup by the salon who set her up by giving her an appointment. And, but who made the appointment? Hmm. Interesting. But is the fact that she's trying to blame the salon for her not wearing a mask while there. Now, I'm not one of those mask Nazis that say, you must wear a mask anywhere you go. No, I, I believe it's an individual choice that you're able to go through and assess the risk and determine what your own risk level is and whether or not wearing a mask is appropriate for you or not. Not everybody needs to wear a mask. But if you're part of a particular risk group, then sure. And what we see here, you know, is Nancy Pelosi is part of that risk group. So, you know, her inability to own up to what she did and her own hypocrisy, you know, explains so much. So, in any event, so as we know, there have been riots that have gone on for a long time now. And I'm not just talking about the recent bout of riots. I'm talking about the fact that the left has been rioting for years. Long before Trump got into office, the left had started rioting. They just changed their excuse for why it is that they're rioting, you know, and trying to blame President Trump for things that the left started doing under President Obama. Now, I was looking at a picture here on Facebook and they were going, Oh, you want peaceful protests now? And then they showed, uh, pictures from the 1950s about white people were rioting back in the fifties to protest school integration. You weren't calling for peaceful protests then. And I got to thinking about this one. Um, it was before I was born, so you know I had no opportunity to comment about anything at that particular point in time. But two points came to mind here, which was, A, those so-called protesters protesting school integration back in the 1950s were also leftists. Yes. And so what the picture was kind of showing here, at least to me, was that the left has not changed. In 70 years, they haven't grown up, they haven't changed, and they've been resorting to violence for 70 years in order to try and get their way. Actually, a lot more than 70 years when we really think about it. But another point came to mind here as I was looking at that picture, and I was looking at it, and it's like, you know, this just further shows that violence is not the way to get what you want. Violently attacking people and calling it a protest get, doesn't accomplish anything. School integration still happened, despite the left raging in violence against it and calling it a protest. So it kind of goes that the left doesn't change their behavior, and they keep doing the same things over and over and over again, expecting a different result. You know, that is the definition of insanity continually doing the same thing and expecting a different result. But the state of violence that we are seeing in all these left-wing cities is one of those you know, concepts that the right talks about where if you don't enforce the law and you allow people to 
break the law with impunity. It keeps escalating. So we remember back during the Obama administration, back in uh, Ferguson, you know, the left started rioting over Michael Brown. And the narrative that they were rioting over was completely false. I mean, that has been debunked in every way, shape, and form, you know, about the hands up, don't shoot. And despite that, they still tried to use Ferguson and Michael Brown as part of their reasoning why it is that they are writing and, you know, systemic racism and police brutality. And we've covered how all of this so-called police brutality are police defending themselves from violent attackers resisting arrest. It is kind of amazing on that. And then we saw the left, you know, continue to escalate in their rioting, escalate in the violence. We saw that during President Trump's inauguration, Trump hadn't even done anything yet except for win the election. He hadn't taken office. He hadn't enacted any policies. He hasn't really spoken up too much about anything. He's just kind of waiting for inauguration day. And inauguration day comes, and what happens? The left violently riots. Right? They tear up D.C. And we all know that infamous picture of that lady screaming, no, as Trump was sworn into office. It, it is one of those you know, iconic pictures that have become part of every meme mocking the left at, at this point. I mean, that that one picture has been gold for so many uses. But we saw how the left was going through and giving support to these groups, you know, giving them verbal support from their offices, not allowing the police to do anything to stop them, to refuse to prosecute them while they were arrested for their criminal actions and behaviors. And because the left has refused to do anything uh, about these violent rioters and actually giving them winks, nods, and not even you know, dog whistles at this point, but flat out saying, we support you burning down our cities. It's no wonder that they've gone off and it's escalated, that they are resorting to arson. They're setting buildings on fire with people still in them. Knowingly, they are going off and calling for the, you know, murder of political opponents. You know, if... You don't, if you support any Republican, oh, you're a fascist, therefore we're going to kill you. It doesn't matter that, you know, they themselves are the actual fascist. They just try to make these claims in order to, you know, justify or excuse their behavior. And they keep escalating in the violence. And now they are out there in the streets chanting death to America. Just like the Iran, uh, Iranian mullahs, you know, and people in the streets of Iran chanting, death to America. And this is one of those things like, huh? Are you people this stupid? I mean, you're burnt, you're burning down your communities, you're killing people, you're chanting death to America. And then you want to convince people that, you, you know, that if we just put you in charge, things would be better. 
I mean, if they're this violent now, right, think about this. If they're this violent now trying to obtain power, how violent would they be if they actually achieved power? And when you think about it, you start to realize that, hey, you know what? These really are socialists. These really are socialist communists. Because in every socialist communist state, what happens? The people who are in power or the people pushing the socialist communist uh, agenda style of government do kill anybody who disagrees with them, violently attacks anybody who is less than enthusiastically supporting them. And so we see that, yes, they are true socialists, which means they're violent and murderous. And if they're doing this now, if they ever got into power, God help us. You know, it would be worse than the Soviet Russia. But the left has been going off and actively supporting these violent rioters, setting up funds to bail them out of jail, to get them back out onto the street, which is kind of interesting because they're burning down Democrat, you know, cities. You know, you would figure that, you know, if they wanted this to have any chance of success of using violence, they would try and go off and, you know, stir up the violence in right-wing cities, cities controlled by Republicans or states controlled by Republicans. But they can't because the Republicans shut that crap down quickly, arrest and prosecute them. So they don't go to, you know, areas controlled by Republicans because they know they wouldn't get very far. But they, so they stick to Democrat cities. So they can get away with everything with complete impunity. And I'm wondering what the strategy of that is. Because you're showing that, hey, this city is run by Democrats. We got people burning down your communities and we're going to support them. I'm wondering what kind of stupid person would actually vote for that? What kind of stupid person is going to go off and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to vote to let people burn down my house. What? You know, and yet the Democrats are trying to do that. And Joe Biden came out and he tried giving a speech condemning violence. Now, we all know the hypocrisy here, whereby you know, when Trump was condemning the violence in Charlottesville, you know, they were always saying it wasn't enough. Even though he called out the violent actors by name, right? The white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, the KKK. It was never enough because according to the media, it was disgraceful as he was pointing out that, well, yeah, those people are horrible. And so too are Antifa, which was also causing the violence. He caused, he called out the violent people by name on both sides of the conflict. And yet that was horrible according to the left, because he was giving cover. He wasn't being specific enough. And then Joe Biden comes out and gives a bland, milquetoast statement about, oh, we condemn all violence. But he won't call out anybody by name who are committing the violence. You understand that. You know, and what is even more interesting is while Joe Biden was going out there and giving a generic, you know, condemn all violence, which he's only doing because 
he sees that the violence is hurting him in the polls, he doesn't call out violence from Antifa or Black Lives Matter who are actually starting buildings on fire and burning them down. But he condemns violence and then tries to blame it on right wing. He tries to claim right wing militias and such. So he gives a milk toast statement, a, a, a generic statement about violence, and then he tries to blame violence on the people who are not actually committing violence while giving a pass to everybody who is actually committing violence. So he didn't really condemn violence at all. In fact, he showed his support for the violence. He showed that in a Joe Biden America, terrorists will get their way. If you go off and you kill people and burn down communities, you will get your way. Because his basic argument would be, was during that speech that if only we would just take a knee and give them what they want, the violence could stop. Which when you think about it is a threat. We're going to continue the violence until you give us what we want. We're not going to have a reasonable conversation. We're not going to debate policy. We're not going to try and persuade people. No, we're going to continue the violence until you give us what we want. And if you don't give us what we want, we're going to continue escalating the violence. And Joe Biden is supporting that. Joe Biden's staff is supporting that. And he's supporting the threat. And he's letting you know that under his administration, these violent terrorists will be able to roam free. And every time they set a building on fire, he will capitulate to them whatever their demands are. And this is why the violence keeps continuing. Because the Democrats in elected office, rather than doing anything about the violence, keep supporting them and promising to do what they want. But, you know, they, they need votes. They need power, you know, in order to be able to give them what they want. But then support them as they now are trying to blame President Trump about this. You know, so violent, the violent actions and behaviors of these left wing groups that started under Obama, with Obama's blessings, verbal support, and encouragement that have continued to this day in left-wing cities controlled by Democrats refusing to allow the federal government to step in and help provide safety and security to the community is now blaming President Trump for the violence and asking people, do you feel safe? You know, this is President Trump's America. It's all Democrats supported by Democrats who are blocking federal troops from being able to come in and provide safety. But this is Donald Trump's America. So we know how things would happen after the election if Obama, or not Obama, but if Biden were to get into office. These people would be able to act without, an, uh, you know, without consequence. Anytime they want to demand something, just burn down a building and Joe Biden gives you what you want. (sighs) What a horrible thought. But as we have learned, the Democrats themselves don't control the mob. They don't control what these violent terrorists are doing. So while they have been giving them lip service, cover, uh, making them uh, immune, to any legal action or refusing to take any legal action, it turns out that while they have been going off and 
trying to support the terrorists, the terrorists don't necessarily care about the Democrats themselves. And we have seen that. And so this is one of those things where the Democrats were probably thinking the enemy of my enemy is my friend and that they could, you know, with enough support, get these people to vote Democrat. But it turns out that these people aren't just, you know, you know, Democrats, they're far leftists, which there is some difference between Democrats and far leftists. I mean, they're both on the same uh, ideological scale. It's just the further left you go, the more violent and murderous and tyrannical you become. But the left thought, you know, that they could use these violent terrorists basically like useful idiots. They were neither useful, although they are idiots. So they've been going off and trying to give support and, you know, especially to the narrative. But it turns out they have no control. So Biden has come out and asked them to, hey, tone it down. You're going to get Donald Trump reelected. And the polls are showing that what you are doing is really hurting us. And you're ensuring four more years of President Trump. Well, they don't care. And the reason why the terrorists don't, these domestic terrorists do not care is because they don't care about democracy. They don't care about the two party system. They don't care about the constitution. Their goal is to tear it all down. Their goal is to overthrow the government and the Democrats are part of the government. Therefore, they need to go as well. They want to tear up the Constitution and eliminate all your constitutional rights. They want to be in control and dictate to you everything about your life. And if you don't go along with the program, they're going to kill you. That's what they're going for. So, so it's no wonder that Biden trying to reason with them is unsuccessful. While Biden trying to explain to them, tone it down, we need to stop the riots, we're getting too close to the election. Why Biden coming out doing that is having no effect on scaling down the violence. And then we also see here that these violent rioters, even though the mayor of Portland supports them, has given them cover, has had the police stand down while they violently riot, to have the DA's office refuse to prosecute them why they write, even though he's been on their side every step of the way, these rioters still showed up to his, to his home, you know, his apartment complex and set it on fire with him still in it. Wow. Just wow. That is amazing. So even though the left has been supporting them, giving them cover, bailing them out of jail, putting them out on the streets to do what they want to do, they're still turning against the Democrats because the Democrats are not pure enough, you see. And so they're turning against them and now attacking them, setting their buildings on fire and all of that. So it just goes to show that the left has been trying to use groups like Antifa and BLM to silence political opposition to advance a narrative that they think they could use to get elected. They've been using them, believing them to be useful idiots. But it turns out they 
have no control over them, and these useful idiots are turning on the Democrats. It, it, it is one of those amazing things. So, so what is the Democrats' new strategy is to blame this violence on President Trump, on the right wing. You know, it, it is kind of amazing here because as we see, you know, support for the terrorist actions of Black Lives Matter, of Antifa, as they, as that support, you know, continues to crash, you know, and public opinion, now that we see them for what they really are, I mean, they've only lasted this long because the media has been covering for them, lying about them, and attacking you as a racist for calling them out. But the media can't contain all of this, you know, fiery, but mostly peaceful. The media can't contain any of this. So what are they doing right now? Well, they're trying to flex their ability to market and change narratives and get people to go along with uh with a program. So if they're going to go off and claim that the that the problem and the violence is right wing militia is right wing violence, that's the problem. Well, then you realize. Well, the only way they can be saying that is the fact that they're slowly trying to roll out the narrative that somehow Antifa is a right-wing group. Yep, they're going to do to Antifa what they did with the KKK, which is instead of acknowledging you know, the horrors that they had caused and going off and you know trying to not run away from it, but apologize, and work to improve themselves, they're just going to recast them as right-wingers, right? Oh, no, no, no. They were never part of the left. They were never, you know, part of the Democrat coalition. They're not left. These are extreme right-wingers is what they're going to do. Mark my words. They're going to try what they did with the KKK and try and claim that these groups are now right-wing groups so that they can now come out and go, well, it is right-wingers and, you know, uh, Republicans that are burning down the cities. It is the Republicans that are murdering other Republicans. Wait a minute. There might be a problem here with their attempts to shift the narrative and recast these groups that are far leftists and try and recast them as right-wingers, there might be a problem with that narrative. See, when the left talks, it's not by accident. You know, when you see people like Nancy Pelosi floating out, that maybe we shouldn't have debates. You know, when we hear them making these strange things, uh, statements that sound utterly stupid, but we see them being made by Democrats that are in such deep blue areas of the country that a glass of water with a D on it would get elected. Well, then we realize that they're just floating out stuff and testing the waters for a new narrative to see how well it will be received. You know, received both in the left-wing media that is going to support them, but also by the public. Now, how it's going to go. And if they don't get much pushback on the narrative, 
then they're going to go full swing, issue the marching orders. This must be what everybody is saying. And if we repeat this lie long enough, loud enough, and often enough, we can convince enough people that it's true. And so it's becoming very clear here, you know, what the choices are in 2020 in the presidential race. And that is, you know, not just the usual, you know, uh, Democrat versus Republican. It's not, you know, should taxes go up or should taxes go down? It's not about should we renegotiate trade policies? Yes or no. Who would be more effective at calling, you know, um, tensions, uh, you know, internationally or who would be good stewards of the economy? No, no. That's that's not the choice in this election. That has always been how we viewed the election and our choices in the past. But now it is, do we continue to be America? Do we continue to be the United States or not? Are we against terrorism or not? Are we against political assassinations or not? That is what we're going. So, yes, when Joe Biden, the one true thing that he says it, that he has said is that the soul of this country is on the line in this election. Of course, it's not in the way that he wants you to think it is. But yes, our future, you know, uh, the soul of this nation, the future of this country, whether our people, our, you know, descendants, our kids, our grandkids, our great grandkids have the opportunities that we had, have the freedom that we have. All of that is on the line this election because if Joe Biden were to get elected and the violence is somehow perceived as what helped get him into office and his support for that violence helped get him into office, the violence is only going to continue to escalate as there is a move, an ever-increasing move, to overthrow the current government and the Constitution for their leftist utopia. So that is on the line in this election. And it's real easy. You vote for Joe Biden, you're voting to support domestic terrorism and political assassination. If you vote for President Trump, you're you know, voting for the continuation of democracy, freedom, and constitutional rights. It's really come down to being that simple. No longer a debate over tax policy. Now, I want to take a few moments to take a look at what happened in Kenosha, right? With the, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse or Rittenhouse, however you pronounce the last name. And I purposely did not speak on this before because I wanted to get more details as far as what was going on, in order to try and determine or make up my own mind about what had happened. Because I know the media is largely uh, dishonest. You know, well, largely, uh, I mean to say completely dishonest. And so I wanted to be able to see whether or not, you know, there was any truth to what was being said. And of course, you know, the left has just gone off the rails here, you know, and I see a lot of people going off and, oh, forgot to shut off the 
on there. But I see the left is engaged in a lot of propaganda. And I just see that Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, uh, I know I saw a meme called the Kenosha hat trick. You know, go there, take out three, you know, uh, pedophiles, rapists, and such. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I get that they're trying to be a little humorous about it. I'm just not finding much humor in it. But I do see where, much like what we saw with, oh, what was that, with the Covington kids? Uh, his name just escapes me uh, for the moment, where after the media excoriated him, he was able to sue him and win a lot of money. And so I see Kyle having quite the lawsuit on his hand against the media. And so I guess if you're going to go off and make jokes about the Kenosha hat trick and all of what he did and all of that, well, then you can go off and point out that he's probably going to win lots of money in the lawsuit as the media has tried to claim that he went there with the intentions of murdering people and that he is a white supremacist and all this other BS to which there is no evidence to support. So as we have gone through and more details have come out, I'm going to clearly say that it was self-defense. You know, there is no question about that. It was self-defense and, you know, when, you know, his case in court and, you know, assuming that it ever actually gets to court and then when his lawsuits against uh, the media. Now, why do I say that? Well, first off, the media tries to talk about how he traveled to Kenosha, but the narrative starts falling apart when you find out that he didn't just travel to Kenosha when the violence and the riot had started. He's been making that commute for a long time, and that where he lives, while over state lines, is roughly about 30 miles from Kenosha. Now, I'm taking a look at this from a perspective of someone who commuted for, you know, 15 years, you know, at least to work, traveling 30 to 50 miles, you know, both way. Right? And so the idea of traveling 30 miles to do work is not foreign to me. Now, working may be foreign to the left, but it's not foreign to me. And then we've seen here where he engaged in a lot of volunteer and community work in Kenosha, helping to clean up graffiti and all that. But on this particular night, you know, as he had gone through, you know, we see that, you know, and through video evidence that he was actually providing, you know, some aid and support, EMT aid and support uh, to the violent rioters, which is kind of like, I'm not sure what to make of that, you know, you know, as far as his leanings and such. But, you know, there's videos of him uh, trying to attend to injured, you know, protesters and rioters and letting them know that he is a trained EMT. You know, so he, it seems like he was going off and trying to help provide, you know, services, you know, for, you know, helping people, you know, with their injuries, treating their injuries, as well as having volunteered in the community 
And I know, you know we'll address the gun here uh, in just a moment. And then we know that he was asked, along with other people, to to help you know protect and defend some property, which would mean you know that he is in one stationary location where you know it would be the violent rioters that would be traveling to him to do harm. We know uh, through uh, various videos that you know he eventually got separated or. You know, was told he had to leave the area that he was defending. And then it was at that point, as he was, you know, what I would assume is likely trying to make his way back to where he was to meet up with his mom or, you know, whatever, you know, or wherever it was he was staying for the night, that while he was going there, that violent rioters saw him and started attacking. Now, this is what we see, and we see, you know, uh, in the videos that there was a gun uh, fire, not by Kyle, but we see a muzzle flash. You know, so he's being attacked by rioters, and he hears a gun going off. He takes cover, and as the violent rioters, uh, you know, go off and try to attack him, he shoots, right? And that kills one person and although there's still a lot of violent rioters there that he could have just kept shooting at after he shot the one person he tried to leave the area right so we see that he was walking around after having tried to provide you know um you know services you know to violent rioters, you know, trying to provide EMT services uh, to them that they ended up attacking him. He takes cover. He, you know, other people were firing off guns. So he's being attacked by a mob while hearing gunfire. He shoots and kills one person. And then instead of staying to keep firing, what does he do? He tries to leave the area. You know, he realizes that the violent rioters are probably, you know, not advancing because he has a gun and he just showed that he was willing to use it in self-defense and he tries to leave the area and the mob follows him or he runs into another, you know, um, mob group. One of those two situations, but he tries to leave the area. He tries to get out of the area. Well, he gets chased some more, falls down, and then they start hitting him with skateboards and trying to beat the crap out of him. And one of his attackers was also armed. And so he's forced to defend himself again, shooting. So, you know, he was the, so he was there to do volunteer work, provide EMT services and defend a property. He shot someone in self-defense, you know, as they were trying to attack him and tried to leave, tried to get out of there, but they kept attacking and he ends up shooting two more people, killing at least one more person, total of two. And then we see him trying to surrender to the police, but there's so much violence, so much rioting and all that, that. It didn't matter that he had a gun. 
he had his hands up in the air, which to the police officers is kind of signaling, I'm not violent. You know, I'm not doing anything. But he tried to get the police's attention to surrender himself. And, you know, I mean, if you're an officer and you see, you know, violence happening all over the place, buildings being burnt down, you hear reports of gunfire, and you're coming up on someone who puts their hands up waiting to surrender uh, to you, you don't think of them as a threat or in any way, you know, needing to be checked out. And so he then later on does you know, surrender himself uh, to the police. And the media has been trying to go off and trying to act like, you know, Kyle is the bad guy, that Kyle went there specifically to try and shoot and kill people, which there is no evidence to support that. Now, given all of the evidence that we have seen, I'm going to go off and say, I don't think Kyle did anything wrong. He. You know, maybe we could talk about how, you know, if violent rioting is going on, you shouldn't put yourself in that situation. And especially if you feel like you need to be armed in order to be able to be in that situation to your safety. But seeing as how he was talking about being a trained EMT and trying to provide help, we could see that he, you know, he was just trying to, I don't know whether it was get more experience uh, in the field or just be an overall good person, trying to, you know, help people out, you know, and make the best of a bad situation because he wasn't just, you know, helping out, you know, with EMT services to the rioters. He was also trying to provide some help to the police officers, you know, I believe uh, you know, giving them water so that they wouldn't be dehydrated or something like that. You know, so he was kind of there more as a neutral party from all evidence and just, you know, volunteering in the community and trying to help protect, you know, a, a car lot from property damages or some business from property damage. And it was only when he was attacked that he had to defend himself. And this is why we have a Second Amendment right to defend ourselves. Because had he not used the gun he had, if he didn't have that gun, you know, he would be the one that would most likely be dead right now. We know this. This is just based off of the evidence and what we have seen going on. He would be the one dead right now. But the left... The left has been trying to ignore all of these facts. And so, yes, I, I support, you know, uh, Kyle in this, that, you know, he was just trying to be a decent person and he was attacked. And the only people he shot were people who were violently attacking him. You know, I mean, it doesn't take much, you know, uh, much more than the picture of him being hit in the head with a skateboard by a person he ended up shooting and killing to realize that this was self-defense. And going through all of the evidence, you realize it was all self-defense. Just having a gun on you is not you being violent. It's you exercising your Second Amendment rights. 
Now, the left also tries to go off and make a statement about his age. Oh, he was only 17, only 17. And I got around to thinking about this whole 17 and age. And it kind of dawned on me, we've kind of de-evolved as a race, haven't we? I mean, at 17, you used to be an adult before it got pushed back to 18. Now you're under your parents' care and watch with insurance and all that until you're 26. But at 17 years old, that used to be what was considered an adult, someone who could take care of themselves, someone who left the home. It was 17-year-olds that fought in the Revolutionary War to help us win our freedom from the British Empire. It was 17-year-olds who fought in the Civil War to help end slavery. But now 17-year-olds are considered children still. They're considered to you know, be incapable of yet being able to take care of themselves. And it seems like we've gone from 17 being an adult, able to take care of themselves, be responsible, and live on their own and fight for their country, to now you're basically stating that people up to the age of 26 are still basically children needing their parents' supervision and help. And so I'm not concerned about his age. I'm not concerned about how, you know, he's only 17. That That is a mute point. You know, especially when you consider, you know, that under the circumstances, he held up pretty well. He wasn't just firing randomly or, you know, once he opened fire, he wasn't just shooting at everybody. You know, he withheld his fire, you know, uh, for longer than I probably would have under the circumstances. He withheld his fire. He had, you know, uh, control, emotional control in the situation over himself. And only when it, only when the ability to avoid Shooting was no longer an option. Did he open fire and only open fire at the people directly assaulting him, directly threatening him without opening fire on the people that were hanging back? And so he seemed like he was held up pretty good under the circumstances. It's just unfortunate that the left. You know, has gotten so violent as to force people to have to take such actions to defend themselves, especially when they're just trying to help out the community. And it's amazing how the left, you know, just like Nancy Pelosi blaming the hair salon for make you know for booking her appointment as you know a setup for her going in there without a mask. Just like they have scapegoat every problem and issue caused by the left onto somebody else, it's unfortunate that the left is trying to scapegoat the actions of the violent rioters, arsonists, terrorists, and trying to excuse their actions and instead blame the person who was forced to defend themselves so that they themselves would not be the ones killed. 
All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave me uh, a rating and a review. You know, to help out with other people discovering uh, this podcast. Share it on social media. You know, help me get out there more. Because the best way to counter uh, the left's control of narratives, the left's control of media, is to go through and share, you know, uh, conservative voices, share uh, Republican voices, libertarian voices, you know, and let people know that other voices are out there. Podcasts are still pretty hard to market in 2020 with very little and natural discoverability. You have to market other things that link to your podcast. So if you can leave me a rating and a review so other people can find this podcast and share it on social media, that would be very much appreciated. Thank you so much. And I will be back again on Monday.